Welcome to these Bible lessons on the Old Testament. In these lessons, we'll cover God's magnificent creation of all the world, including the creation of man, the crown of God's creation. We'll follow with the sad fall of man in paradise and the consequences this brought to the world. In the continuing lessons, we'll teach how God visits men with the revelation of His covenant of grace. When we travel together through the entire Old Testament, we see God visiting His nation of Israel with revelations of this covenant of grace, pointing constantly to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope these lessons are a blessing to you. Thank you. Welcome back to our Old Testament learning series. We're on Lesson 18, and you can follow along in your Bible in Genesis 23 and 24. Before we begin, I'd like you to imagine, girls, that you have just finished high school, and you've gone out for the afternoon to the market to purchase some groceries to bring home for the evening meal. And while you're leaving one of the markets or one of the market stalls, a man comes up to you and speaks to you. And he says some things that are really interesting to you. You look at him and he is clearly from a different culture and from a far off country. You invite him home for dinner. And when he's at your home, he explains to your parents that you are just the young woman to marry his master's son. You see, this man that you would have met was the servant of a far-off king who was looking for a young woman to marry the prince. Now, what would you need to see or what would you need to hear in order for you to be completely convinced to go with this servant and to return home to this far-off country to marry a prince who you've never seen? In the story that we're about to hear, we're going to learn about the marriage of a young woman. But before we begin, we're going to learn about the death of an older woman. And in the time of our story, we are at a time where Isaac is about 40 years old. And the joy that this camp has experienced when Isaac was born, now about 35 to 40 years later, is replaced with sadness and mourning, because if we look in Sarah's tent, we can see the great patriarch, Abraham, mourning and weeping and crying. His beloved Sarah is now dead. Sarah has been living in the land of Canaan for 60 years, and now she has passed on. Abraham most certainly is thinking about the times where God has kept Sarah and spared her as the mother of the future covenant seed. Sarah is the only woman in scripture whose age, death, and burial are so carefully recorded. And so Abraham's attention needs to turn to the burial of his wife and 
for all the wealth and respect that he had in this region, there is not a single square meter of land that Abraham can call his own. Abraham goes out and he speaks to the sons of Heth, the Hittites. He says to them, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. He admits, I'm just a pilgrim. I'm only a stranger in this land. You can read the rest of this conversation in verses 3 through 16 from Genesis 23. In God's providence, Abraham becomes the legal owner of a field and a cave in this land where he's just a pilgrim. And so in a cave in the field of Machpelah, Abraham buries his wife, Sarah. Reread that conversation and notice how Abraham deals with such honor and courtesy to these Hittites who were indeed quite wicked. Notice the manner in which he deals with them, and that's also a very good lesson for us. They offered him a free place to bury his wife. They said, buried in the best place we have. But Abraham insisted on paying the full price. The sadness of the death of Sarah soon is replaced with joy because there's going to be a marriage very soon. In that part of our story, we notice that Abraham feels himself getting older and weaker, and he knows that it's time for his son Isaac to be married. And he calls a trusted servant to him, and he explains this to his servant, and he gives his servant four instructions. He says to him, My son Isaac may not marry a daughter of the Canaanites. He saw the wickedness of the Canaanites, and he knew that they would be punished by God in the future. He did not want his son to be influenced by this wicked culture. The second thing he tells his servant to do is to go to his Abraham's extended family in Haran, and from that extended family to select a wife. The third thing is that Isaac is not to leave the land of Canaan on this journey with the servant. This means that the bride needs to return with the servant, never having seen Isaac. And the fourth thing is that if the bride were to refuse to come with the servant, the servant would be free from this promise. The servant is obedient, and he leaves on this 700-kilometer journey with 10 camels and servants and gifts to pay the bridal price. The servant is very wise. The servant does not rely on his own wisdom and strength because as the servant is coming close to the city of Nahor, likely Haran, he comes to a well of water in the evening. And it's at this well that the servant prays to God. You can read that in verse 12. The servant's prayer is, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. And so, 
what we see here is that the servant is praying to God to also lead and to show the way. We read in the rest of this prayer that the servant is asking God that the woman who appears and shows great kindness and great hospitality to him will be the woman whom God has chosen. And sure enough, uh, before the servant is even done speaking, a beautiful young woman comes to the, to the well. And she descends the steps to the well and draws some water. The servant goes to her and asks her kindly for some water for himself. And this beautiful young woman who has come to this well, she not only offers the servant water, but she also offers to draw water for these 10 thirsty camels. This is a display of great hospitality. And so this means that the prayer of the servant is, is completely and fully answered. So the servant gives this, gives this young woman, Rebecca her name is, he gives her some golden jewelry, some very fancy bracelets to put on her arms, an earring as well. And Rebecca invites the servant to come home with her and to stay for the night. Before following her, the servant bows down and worships God for, for showing him such clear direction and for answering this prayer in such a providential and wonderful way. And so Rebecca journeys home again and she bursts into this front door of the home or the tent and she explains all of these things to her mother and she shows her the bracelets and the earrings. The servant soon follows and explains to the family his mission. He explains everything about his great master Abraham, his riches and his wealth. And he tells why he has come to this area to select a bride for Isaac, his master's son. And so as this is being explained, the father of Rebecca and the brother of Rebecca, they give permission for Rebecca to go with the servant and to return to Canaan with the servant to be married to Isaac. And gifts are exchanged. And by the next morning, they're on their way. Isaac, at this time, he is living in Beer Leheroy, near that well of water where Hagar found herself. And he's out in the field meditating at night. And he looks off in the distance and he sees a, a cloud of smoke or a cloud of dust rising from the ground. And this is the, this is the caravan of camels returning from this journey. And Sarah also, excuse me, Rebecca also sees Isaac in the distance. And she covers herself with a veil. The servant gets off his camel and goes forward to Isaac and explains about all the details, about the answered prayer, about the willingness of Rebecca, about the interactions. And so we see here that Rebecca meets her future husband, Isaac. Isaac takes Rebecca and he brings her to his mother's tent. And so we see in a way here that Rebecca is taking the place of Sarah as the mother of the covenant seed as the mother of the future Savior.
At this point in our story, we have seen that Abraham, the servant, Rebecca, Rebecca's family, and Isaac all have had a part. But behind everything is God is directing all of their choices and all of their decisions. It's actually God that is doing this all. So how does this story about Isaac meeting his wife, Rebecca, how does that apply for our life today? What kind of lessons are there for us to learn? What do we learn about who God is and what he does? This Bible story is very detailed in some places. There are other Bible stories that are very brief. And so we see, especially in Abraham's purchase of a burial place, some very detailed, um, a very detailed story. Why is that? Why did Abraham not simply accept the free offer of a burial place? It was a very generous and gracious offer. Why did he insist on purchasing a field? Well, in this culture, it was very important for people to be buried in their homeland. And you know that Abraham and Sarah have left Mesopotamia. They've left Haran. And now they're in Canaan where they are pilgrims. They have no homeland. They're a stranger in this land. And so Abraham bought this field in faith because he knew that in the future, this would be the homeland of his future family. It would be the everlasting possession of his seed. And so in a way, Sarah is still buried in her homeland. We can read in Hebrews 11 verse 10, something about Abraham. There it says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We learn that Abraham desired the promised land of heaven more than the promised land of Canaan. We can also learn that the covenant promises of God are not just limited to this life, but rather those covenant promises extend beyond the grave. Abraham's hope was in the resurrection of, his, of, of Sarah, his dead wife. He knew that this promise would be ultimately fulfilled in the promised land of heaven. We learn something about who God is as well. In past lessons, you have been introduced to God as an almighty God. We have seen that God is also a judge. But here, especially in this story, we see, about, we see something about God, especially as a covenant God. In fact, that name, Yahweh, especially that name of the covenant God, is, appears 19 times in this chapter. I would like to just look at verse 12 and 27 with you. In both of those verses, we can see that God is described as the Lord God of my master Abraham. In verse 12, there is the servant's prayer for God to show kindness. And in verse 27, there is the prayer where he is thanking God for showing mercy. 
kindness and mercy. They are actually the same word. In the original, they are exactly the same word. And that word especially refers to the love of God, especially the strong, devoted love and kindness that God shows through this covenant. And so that means that in this story of God supplying a wife for Isaac, we also see that this is a story about an act of love of God for his church. So this is not just a story of a man meeting his wife, but it is a history of God keeping his covenant promise. Next, in this story, we can also see something about what God does. In fact, I would like you to, on your own time, reread this chapter and highlight or make a note of all the times where you think that this chapter refers to God directing all of these events. I'll provide a few now. Let's look at verse 7. There it says that he shall send his angel before thee. Let's look at verse 21. In that verse, the servant wondered whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And in verse 27, we can read that the Lord led me. And there are many more verses where we can see details of God directing all of these events. In fact, the entire Old Testament story is a story of God unfolding more and more and more of his plan of salvation. He's showing more of who he is, more of what he does. And this story here of Isaac being provided with his wife, Rebecca, is an unmistakable evidence that God directs all of these events. For example, when we see Rebecca coming to the well, then she was coming to the well as the servant was praying. And before she was before the servant was done praying, she had appeared there. So God has influenced all of these things and God has brought them all to pass. This story is one unmistakable evidence of God keeping his covenant promise to make Abraham a great nation. Next, let's look at how the people of this story all had a role to play. Abraham needed to make a decision. The servant needed to be obedient and faithful. Rebecca needed to go to the well for water. Rebecca's father and brother needed to listen and to make a decision about this. And Isaac also had decisions to make. But while all these people are involved in the story, it is God who is underneath all this, directing all of their choices. The last thing that I would like to look at with you is to see how this story points us to Christ. I would like you to imagine for a moment what it would be like to meet your future spouse on the day that you are about to be married to them. What if you didn't like them? 
we need to keep in mind here that Isaac loved Rebekah because he knew that she was a gift from God to him. He knew that God had provided her. He knew that Rebekah was God's answer to prayer. And so we can also see here that the the best example of God's love toward his people is when God gave himself, when God gave his son to them. The Lord Jesus Christ is described as an unspeakable gift in Scripture. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And we can also read in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You and I are called to love God with, our, with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. That's the first and the greatest commandment. Scripture is very clear that we are to love God, and that loving God means to love the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord Jesus' own words from John 8, verse 42, he says there, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Next, how necessary is it for you and I, then, to love that Lord Jesus Christ? It is of eternal importance. It has an impact. It decides where we will spend eternity. More about this love to the Lord Jesus. We can see from the Apostle Paul at the end of two of his letters in the, Old Te- in the New Testament. At the close of his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And at the, or near the end of his letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. That means, let him be cursed or banned. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And so we, we, see, in this, we see in this one uh, letter that there is a description of what those who love the Lord Jesus Christ will receive. And also, in the next letter, there is a description of what those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ When we let the New Testament shine a light backwards on the Old Testament, then we can see in this story of Rebekah as a gift from God to Isaac, a lesson for us. We can understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is also a gift from God to us, and we ought to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, and mind just as Isaac loved Rebekah. In this story, we have learned about the death of an older woman, and we have followed that up with the 
the story about the marriage of a younger woman. And we've learned that through all of these events, God directs them all. He directs them all so that he keeps his covenant, so that he is faithful to himself. We learn about God's loving kindness, his covenant love. We learn about God's unchanging love for himself. In our next story, we're going to learn about the twin sons that are born to, J to the twin sons that are born to Isaac and Rebecca.